listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Take a minute to share this because we're jumping right in today. Um, but it's very important, and I do these so that we, we are solid. You know, one of the things that caused me in prayer to realize I needed to launch Miracle Word University was that the Lord pulled that scripture, Hosea 4, 6, out to my spirit. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. What's up, Jenna? Destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so we need wisdom, understanding, and knowledge to walk in the promises of God and not be destroyed, but to flourish and abound. That's the key. We want to flourish and abound. Jenna is on the broadcast. Everybody send a what's up to Jenna today. It's good to have her on. She's on her way south to Florida. Everybody throw Jenna a what's up in the comments section. Um, We love and appreciate her. So I want to give you five things today. That's what we're going to do in this broadcast. I'm going to give you five biblical reasons, scriptural reasons why God wants you to abound in prosperity and wealth, natural wealth. I'm not talking about spiritual wealth, although you should be spiritually wealthy. I'm talking about why God wants his people to abound financially. He wants you to overflow financially. He wants you to be blessed financially. Doesn't want you to struggle. Doesn't want you in debt. Doesn't want you without. He doesn't even want you with just your needs met. Think about how powerful that is. God doesn't even want to leave you in a place of just enough. He doesn't even want you in a place of just enough. He doesn't want you in a place where just your needs are met. He wants you to abound. He wants you to live in the overflow. Prosperity is not a dirty word. (laughs) As much as the church has tried to make it out to be one. And I want to start today by saying that. And I want that to be where we begin. And I want you to put it in the comments if you would. Prosperity is not a dirty word. Please, somebody, write that in the comments. And can we start with that understanding today? Prosperity is not a dirty word. It's not a bad word. It's not a heretical word. It's not, it's not a bad word. And so I want you to put that in the comments. And don't forget it. Because if you listen to some of these religious preachers and teachers, if you listen to some of these people across America and around the world, really, They'll try to get you to believe that it is uh, heretical, that it's wrong, that it's evil, that we are uh, seeking after the blessing of the Lord. Literally, they'll make you try to feel, they'll try to make you feel um, like you're some sort of a second class citizen because you believe that we should seek the provision, the blessing of the Lord. Can I show you something? Uh, before we give you the five, this, this popped off to me. Also, I was reading through the book of Zephaniah one time. Um, 
And I, when I was reading in Zephaniah, I remember back then I was doing my um, devotions in the New Living Translation. So I'll look at like three or four different translations. And this kind of popped off the page to me. And I want to read it to you because it sets us up perfectly for today. And, and I was reading Zephaniah 1.6. And uh, in the New Living Translation, it really opened it up for me. Listen to what God said. Now, it irritated God. And always through the Old Testament, it irritated God when his people pursued other gods. His people pursued um, false gods, intermingled with those, um, you know, pagans and all that. I was, I was going through, of course, we're reading the Bible in 90 days. God was harsh, man, in his language. He was harsh in his language with the people of Israel when they didn't follow him. I mean, I was reading yesterday and I was like, man, God was harsh with the way he spoke to his people uh, when they basically, so I'm reading through the, the major prophets right now. And God said to them, um, you, my people, you are whores, you're prostitutes. You've whored after other gods. I was your husband and you whored after other gods. And, I, and then he goes on to say this, which was like crazy because it's even more of a slap in the face. God goes, you're whores, but you're not like a normal whore. You're a different kind of whore. He said, because you, unlike other whores who take payment for whoring themselves, he said, instead, you tried to pull the nations into you. You whored yourself to them and then you paid them. You gave them gifts. <laughs> and so God's like going off on his people. Uh, they stopped seeking his blessing, stopped seeking his favor, stopped seeking his presence and his guidance and went after other gods. He called them prostitutes. That's, and then he goes on to say, you're a custom kind of prostitute because you pay to be a whore. I mean, it, it, he went off on them through the prophets. And God is not pleased when his people stop seeking him. And that includes seeking his blessing. So I was in Zephaniah chapter one and uh, I came to verse six. Um, that's right, Aaron. Thus says the Lord, you're a different kind of whore. That's exactly what he said to him. It's exactly what he said to them. And uh, I came to verse six of Zephaniah one. Listen to how the new living translation renders this. Uh, and I admit it is more, it's a thought for thought translation. It's not like a literal word for word style, formal equivalence translation, but listen to what it says. And I will destroy those who used to worship me, but now they no longer do. So God's first of all irritated that they used to worship him. Now they don't worship him. They no longer ask for the Lord's guidance. That's the second thing that ticked him off or seek my blessings. So look at this in Zephaniah 1, 6, Three things that God was ticked off about. Number one, they don't worship me anymore. Number two, they don't ask for my guidance anymore. And number three, they don't seek my blessings anymore. They used to, they don't now. And God so badly wants to bless you and touch you that it irritates him when people don't seek his blessing. I mean, imagine how you'd feel as a parent if you spent time buying gifts for your children that you love, 
that you know they, they love those gifts. You know they wanted them, it was on their list for Christmas, and you went out and spent the money, took the time, braved the crowds at the mall, and you went and bought these gifts for your children, and then Christmas Day came, and they didn't even come downstairs out of their room. I'm not saying they didn't come down and open the presents, they didn't even come out of their room. Didn't even come out of their room. Imagine how you'd feel. Your, your kids so didn't care about the, the gifts that you provided for them, the gifts that you bought for them, that they wouldn't even come out of their room to open them on Christmas morning. I mean, that's, that's heartbreaking. But that's how God feels that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3. And he's provided for us a, a priceless inheritance, the Bible says. And there's people that don't even care to seek the blessings of God. It's heartbreaking for God. He wants to bless his children. In fact, I want you to put that in the comments today. God wants to bless me. Put it in the comments. God wants to bless me financially. Add that because that's the context that we're talking about today. Not just bless you in some ethereal, unknown, unseen way. He wants to bless you financially. And I know this separates some evangelicals from others because they think that this is some sort of a, a dirty way of believing God, some greasy, greedy way of living in the kingdom. But I want you to put it in the comments if you believe what I'm preaching. And I'm going to show you from the word. God wants to bless me financially. No question about it. No question about it. He absolutely does. Absolutely does. God vilifies debt in the Bible. Debt is an evil thing. It's not a good thing. It's an evil thing. It makes you a servant or a slave to the lender. Debt is not from God. In fact, if you look at what he said to his people in the Old Testament, Israel, what was part of the promise for their obedience to God? You will lend to many nations and you will not borrow. God's plan for his people was you'll not have to borrow. You'll be in such overflow and excess that you will lend to others. Glory to God. You will lend to others. Now, listen, I'm not saying that if you have debt or if you're in debt, that you're evil or antichrist or operating in an antichrist spirit or an evil. I'm not saying that. I'm saying God doesn't want you there. In the same way that I would say God doesn't want you in sickness. Doesn't make you an evil person. If the devil tries to attack your body with sickness, absolutely not. But God doesn't want his children in sickness in the same way he doesn't want them in sin. It's a part of the redemption package deal. Amen. So just because you're in it, I'm not vilifying you. I'm saying that's not where God wants you. He's got better plans for you than that. His plan is that you lend and never borrow. Hallelujah. Lend to many nations, he told them, and you'll never borrow. You'll never lack. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And so he doesn't want you in debt. The other thing is he doesn't want you in a place of just enough. He doesn't want you in a place where just your needs are met. Doesn't want that for you. That's not his plan. That's not his plan. Because if you study the way that God did things in the Old Testament and in the life of Jesus, 
Jesus was always revealing himself to be a God of more than enough, more than enough, a God of excess. And I, I've dealt with this on the broadcast before, so I won't belabor the point, but every time you see Jesus doing these miracles of provision, it's always more than enough to meet the need, not just enough. Think of the feeding of 5,000, John 6. After he fed everybody and they were all full and wanted no more, what the Bible say? He had the disciples gather up the fragments, the excess, and he filled 12 baskets, filled 12 baskets with the excess, with the leftovers. And if God's all knowing, then what's, what's the, uh, you know, is he, he just doesn't know how to count. He didn't know how hungry everybody would be. I mean, is that the argument people are going to make? Well, the reason there were 12 baskets of leftovers is because God wasn't really sure how hungry everybody was. No, it's because he's proving a point about his provision power. He's a God of the excess. He's a God of the excess. You move on further to understand, you know, they're asking about the temple taxes. Jesus says, go down to the water, put, put, a, put in a line. First fish you catch, you'll have a coin in its mouth. And then he comes back with it. He said, now go pay your taxes and mine. You see that? It wasn't just enough for Peter. It was more than enough to take care of Peter and Jesus. Look at when, when Jesus, uh, Peter allowed Jesus to use his boat, Luke chapter five. And Jesus goes out on the water and preaches to the crowd on the shore. And then he tells Peter, now push out into the deep and let down your net. He said, well, we've, we've fished all night and caught nothing. However, at your word, I'll let it down. And Peter lets down the net. Such a massive catch comes in that Peter's boat is now sinking. It is sinking because of the catch of fish that just came in. So watch what he does. He calls to his partners on the water to bring their boat over. <laughs> and when they bring their boat over, what do they start doing? Throwing the excess of the catch into their friend's boat until, what does the Bible say? Until their boat starts sinking. <laughs> it wasn't even enough for Peter to sink. It was enough for his friends to sink in the overflow and the excess. You look at these stories of Jesus. This is how Jesus operated. This is how Jesus operated. When he would provide, it was more than enough. He was proving a point about his nature and his ability. What did God do for uh, Abraham? Did he give him just enough? Or did Abraham abound in silver and gold and cattle? The Bible says he abounded. He was very, the man Abraham was very rich. Isaac, very rich. So rich, in fact, that the king of the nation that Isaac was living in came to his house <laughs> and asked him to please move away because you have become too mighty for our nation. Literally, you've become too mighty for us. Jacob, you couldn't keep Jacob in a place where he wasn't blessed. That's how much blessing was on him. Even when people tried to stiff him over and over and over, God just kept causing him to abound and have far more than enough. Joseph, literally, even though they tried to kill him, take him out, God raised Joseph up to the place where there was nobody more powerful than Joseph in the kingdom besides Pharaoh. And he abounded. He abounded in great wealth. Look at David. David was God's man. 
I mean, here's the question you have to ask yourself. If God really does, as so many of these dummies teach, view wealth as an evil thing or a dangerous thing, here's what they'll argue. That wealth is a dangerous thing. It's dangerous. And that if you have it, you're on dangerous ground having extra, being in the overflow and having prosperity. You're on dangerous ground because that's not God's plan. That's what they'll teach and preach from the Bible. Well, if that's true, if having more than enough is truly dangerous to your soul, if it's dangerous to your walk with God, then here's a question for every genius out there. Why did God use financial wealth and abundance as a means of blessing for his covenant men and women? Why did he use that? If it's dangerous to their soul, if he would never do anything that would take us away from him, then why did he use financial blessing and increase as a means to bless his children? Why is it that when you read Deuteronomy 28 and the stipulations for obedience are being given to the children of Israel, why does God keep on saying how much he will bless their uh, economic status? Why does he keep telling them how much they'll abound? Why does he keep telling them that he'll open up the rich treasury of the heavens and bless them? And why does he keep telling them they'll be blessed going in and coming out and the basket will be blessed, their storehouse will be blessed, and their, their, their flocks will be blessed? Why does he keep telling them that? If this is an evil thing, if this is something that uh, literally uh, is dangerous to their spiritual walk, See, it's not dangerous. The Bible and people quote scriptures out of context and they quote them incorrectly because you won't find anywhere in the Bible that the Bible says that money is evil. Money's not evil. It's an inanimate object. <laughs> it's like looking at a rock and be like, that rock is evil. I'm just telling you, I passed by that rock yesterday and again today and that rock is evil. It's a rock. It is what it is. It's an inanimate object and money is the same. Money's not evil. The Bible says it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. See, here's what blows my mind with Christians. This is how shallow some Christians are. They'll believe this message that somehow money in and of itself is evil or having excess money or the pursuit of money is evil. I mean, literally, that's what they're starting to teach us now is that if you're pursuing this in any way spiritually, then you've got a heart problem. You've got an issue inside your heart with God. If you're pursuing wealth, riches, money, really, then why do you go to work? Does that not make you evil? You're working for a paycheck. You're pursuing money. You're pursuing money. It's just that I'm pursuing God's promises of financial provision. I'm pursuing his promises and his systems of financial provision. That doesn't make somebody wicked. Did you know that you can pursue wealth without loving money? I want you to put this in the comments section and it's one of the most important things that you will learn along these lines. I can pursue wealth without loving money. Put that in the comments section. I can pursue wealth without loving money. 
please write that and understand it. I can pursue wealth without loving money. Now you can't serve money and serve God at the same time, the Bible says. You can't, you'll hate one master and love the other. So if you pursue wealth in the way that you are serving money, it becomes your master, then it, the Bible says that you'll hate God because you can't serve God and mammon or money. So if you pursue wealth and it's your master, let me break that down real quickly. What does it look like? Because, you know, nobody really breaks this stuff down. We're talking about prosperity. I, I don't hear this bro broken down often. So let me do it real quick. What does it look like when somebody pursues wealth, but it's their master, they serve money. They serve money. What does it look like to serve money as a child of God? I'll tell you exactly some indicators of what it looks like to serve money. The first one would be that you work and make work your biggest focus even above God. What does that look like? I've had people on here on this broadcast asking me, well, what, what should I do? Because I did that whole thing about how important it is to be faithful to go to church like the Bible commands. I talked about the five things about church attendance, what it shows you, why we need to gather together. Did a whole broadcast on it. And I had people on there say, well, what about those of us that have to work seven days a week? I'll tell you about those that choose to work seven days a week. They've put acquiring money and wealth over God. They've made wealth or money their master. And I know that's harsh, but you don't work on God's day and you don't put per the pursuit of wealth or money above the pursuit of God. He's your master. And I know that that is harsh to some people that watch like, man, you really believe that people that don't go to church because they have to work are serving money over God? Yes, I do. Because the Bible commands us, commands us to gather together. And if the reason that you're not gathering as the Bible commands is because your boss told you you have to work, you're, you, listen, you still have a free will. You know, I've done that. I've told bosses before I became a full-time minister. I've told bosses, you'll never see me on a Sunday, ever. You can schedule me all day long. <laughs> you can put me on the schedule. You ain't going to see me here. I'll work Monday through Saturday, but you'll never see me on a Sunday. And really, you're not going to see me on a Wednesday night shift because I go to church on Wednesday night. I go to church on Sunday morning and I'm a Christian. That's what I do. If you don't like it, fire me. You'll fire me wrongly and I'll get paid, but you can fire me if you want. And what I've found is that people will respect those who hold a strong uh, principle or position on their beliefs, their faith. And you've got to make that up in your mind. God is first above anything else. You can't serve money. And if you, if you put money in the, in the pursuit of money above the pursuit of God, you're serving money. You are serving money. Let me ask, let me show you another way that that's proof that someone is serving money. If they pursue wealth, pursue wealth, pursue wealth, and maybe they'll even go to church, but they won't enter into God's systems of finance. What do I mean by that? They don't tithe. They don't give. And you haven't given anything to God until you've paid your tithes. 
That's harsh for some people to hear. Can I break that down? Let me get, let me break it down mathematically. If you make a thousand dollars, that's your, that's your income. And you go to church and give $20 in the offering plate. That's not an offering. You've not given any offering yet. You've not even completed paying your tithes. $100 of your $1,000 belongs to God. That is your tithe. Until you've put that tithe back into the kingdom where it belongs, you've not even given an offering. Well, you know, I gave $80 last week. You didn't give anything. You haven't even fully paid your tithe. You've robbed God is what you've done. And I know people don't like to preach like this or hear like stuff like this anymore, but bottom line is you have to tell the truth and you have to say what the word of God says. And if we're going to be blessed the way God has a plan to bless us, then we've got to abide by his systems and his own covenant practices and principles. So you've not given anything to God until you've paid your tithes an offering. And and you can put this in the comments if you'd like to. An offering is anything you give beyond your tithe. That's a great, that's a great quote. Put it in the fly leaf of your Bible. An offering is anything I give beyond my tithe. Hallelujah. I believe so hope because there's not really clear instruction in the Bible about that. You can't use Malachi three because the church did not even come into existence until hundreds of years after Malachi chapter three. And there's no, uh, location based principle in the new Testament. It just has, it's supposed to go into the kingdom of God. I would never give my tithes to a charity salvation army, or, you know, uh, my tithes don't go outside the kingdom. They go to kingdom ministry. They go into the fivefold ministry. But until I've, an offering is anything I give beyond my tithes, beyond my tithes. And so if we're not willing to, well, exactly, Zach, and that's a good way to think of it. Uh, He said, my last pastor used to say, we're going to pay the Lord his tithes and give our offerings. And that's exactly right. We return unto him his tithe, and then we give our offerings. We give our offerings. And if we're not willing to operate in the systems that God has set up, then what's really happening there is the reason we're not is that money is our master. People say, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to tithe. I'd rather live on 90 that's blessed than 100 that's cursed. You can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. Let me tell you, in the United States of America, if you can't afford to tithe, it's because your life is too far out of whack. What do I mean by that? Is that you're living too far beyond your means in America. Too far beyond your means. That's just fact. That's just plain fact. And I refuse to open the door to the devourer. Jerry, it's a great point. But we're looking for people that are willing to not serve money, but to serve God. But it's not, here's the thing we've got to remember, and I had you put it in the comments. You can pursue wealth without loving money. And that's a huge point to get in our spirit because there's these religious people that'll teach you anytime some Christians pursuing wealth, if that's a love of money, they're out of whack. That's not how they should live. They should just be satisfied with whatever comes their way. Oh, really? I should just be satisfied with whatever comes my way. 
Just satisfy. Don't pursue God's promises. Don't hold him to his word and think that what he said is true. Just be satisfied with whatever comes my way. What a dumb way to live. Because what if we take that into other arenas in the kingdom? What if you know that God's a healer, Christ uh, took stripes upon his back for your healing. He shed his blood so that he could heal you and that that anointing is available to us. It, what if the devil attacked your body with sickness? Should we sit back and say, well, I just take whatever comes my way. You know, I just, I just take, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen for you. So you just got to learn how to live with whatever comes your way. No, you pursue the promises of God and you say, Lord, you're my healer. I don't accept this attack of sickness in my body. I'm coming after healing. I pursue healing. Doesn't mean I'm wicked. Doesn't mean that I, I have a love. You know, it's so funny because it only works in one way. Oh, he's pursuing heal, healing. He has an inordinate love for healing. No, I've got an attack against my body trying to make me sick and Jesus already purchased my healing. So I can either take him at his word and pursue what he said is mine or be a dummy and say, well, we just take life as it comes. And it's the same thing in the financial realm. He, he provided a way for us to walk in overflow, to be blessed, to be blessed. You say, take whatever comes. Well, just because the world's in a crisis doesn't mean we have to be in a crisis. Absolutely not. We don't have to be in a crisis. No, no. And so I want to encourage you today. Don't be those that uh, are, are taken back when somebody disagrees with this message of prosperity. And I'm not afraid to use the word. Some won't use it anymore because it has such a negative connotation in 2020. Oh, he's a prosperity preacher. Absolutely. I'm absolutely a prosperity preacher. And not ashamed of that fact. That's as foolish as being ashamed that you're a salvation preacher or a healing preacher or a faith preacher. Oh, you're one of those healing preachers. Absolutely I am. Because I'm not ashamed of one of the main names and identities and natures of God He's Jehovah Rapha. He's the God that heals you. Jesus, who is the great physician. I'm not ashamed of that. I still preach it. It's in the Bible unless you tore it out of yours. You see what I mean? So it's just as dumb to get that. Well, really one of them prosperity preach. Absolutely. I'm a prosperity preacher because I believe the Bible. I believe the actual Bible. And so we've got to realize that number one, it's not wrong to pursue God's blessing. And I had to start with that because there's people that will try to make you feel like, you know, you're not even saved because you want to pursue the financial blessing God has provided for your life. But I'm going to give you five reasons why God wants you to be wealthy in the kingdom. And I want you to write them down. You can put them in your notes and put them in your Bible, but I want you to remember these for the rest of your life because they matter. Number one, put it in the notes. Number one reason God wants you to abound and to prosper. He loves you. He loves you. He absolutely loves you. And I'll go over to Matthew chapter seven and show you. Matthew seven. And by the way, before I do that, let me go to the end of Matthew chapter six, because this was all one. 
message that Jesus preached on the mountain. Jesus said, verse 25, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink or your body or what will you put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add any single hour to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. By the way, all of this, all of this is talking about natural things, as you can see. It's not talking about spiritual things. It's what are you going to eat? Where are you going to live? What are you going to wear? Natural things. It says, uh, let me go on to verse 30. If God clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you, little faith? Verse 31, therefore, don't be anxious saying, what do we eat or what do we drink or what do we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Now, if we jump down, he's still teaching along the same context, Matthew 7, and let's go to verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone that asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, here we go, verse 9, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus is making the point, God is a loving heavenly father and he's far more loving than any of you earthly fathers who give good gifts to your children already. Far more loving. He's far more loving. And he said, you being evil, you're already blessing your children left and right. But notice the contrast. If you think you're good to your kids, you should see how your heavenly father is to his kids. That's the point Jesus is making. He wants to reveal the nature and character of the heavenly father. God, and you know, we, it's become such a cliche in church because we say it so often. Uh, you know, somebody will get up and say, God... How many know God's a good God and God is good? And somebody in the crowd say all the time and all the time, God is good. And it's become like a cliche. At our church, something that we say to get in our spirits, it's been there for years, it's been their mantra. God is a good God. He loves you. He wants to bless you. Three things. God is a good God. Jesus is teaching that. He loves you. Jesus is teaching that. And he wants to bless you. Now listen, everything is God's. Everything, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The cattle on a thousand hills are his, the silver is his, the gold is his. If he wants to give you something, he has the right to give it to you. Everything is the Lord's. It's not the devil's, it's the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. And so we have a heavenly father who loves us. The first reason, now see, 
the, the reason I always make this reason number one is because you will have uh, people that so often will, will quote another one of these reasons that we'll go to in a moment. And they'll start telling you all these reasons that God wants you to be blessed to tell you all the things he wants you to do with the blessing. And yes, he has a plan and yes, he has an agenda, but I want you to see something. It's not the main reason he blesses you. It would be like saying that, you know, uh, I buy my kids birthday presents and Christmas presents. Now I do want my kids to learn how to share. Obviously, anybody wants their children to learn how to share. But the main reason I buy them gifts is not because I want them to learn to share. That would be crazy. Say, now listen, I spent all this money on Christmas for you because now that you've opened all your presents, get out there in the neighborhood and let the other kids play with your toys. No, that's not the reason that I bless them. I do want my kids to be sharers. But the reason that I bless them is because I love them. I love them. That's why I bless them. I love them. God blesses you because he loves you. Hallelujah. He blesses you because he loves you. I want you to put that in the comments. He blesses me because he loves me. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And it needs to be number one in your mind, in your thought process. God blesses me because he loves me. He blesses you because he loves you. Not for any other reason. That's the main reason. <laughs> way busy on Periscope said lame. Apparently he's not way busy. It's time to comment on this broadcast. <laughs> lame. That's it. Put it in the comments. He blesses me because he loves me. <laughs> He should change his uh, Periscope name to not really busy. <laughs> not that busy. <laughs> not that busy. He could change his name on Periscope to lives in mom's basement. <laughs> That's it. He blesses me because he loves me. That's exactly what we need to understand first because see, that's God's nature. That's who he is. That's who Christ is. He's a provider. He's a blesser. Amen. Now, number two, the second thing that I want you to see, second reason that God wants you to be wealthy is because he wants to establish his covenant. Put it in the comments. Number two, he wants to establish his covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis, made a covenant with Abraham to bless him. Hallelujah. And, uh, I will, I'll read it to you from Genesis chapter 12 verses one through three. This is number two. Second reason God wants to establish his covenant. Verses one through three of Genesis 12, listen to this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
Verse three, and I will bless those who bless you and I will, and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you, glory to God, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Catch that. And in you. Now listen to this alternate reading here. I'm looking at it in the original Hebrew. It says, or by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. Why? Because they're in that family of Abraham. They're the seed of Abraham. Well, for those that would say, well, that, that was really just for the Jews. That's really just for people who were born in the family of Abraham. Well, if you really believe that, then you need to turn over to Galatians chapter three, because in Galatians chapter three, uh, the Bible says, I'm going to read you verses 27 through 29, Galatians three, 27 through 29. Look at this for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 29 because it's important. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. What promise? The promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis, made him a promise and said in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. And I want you to see this, even though we were not, many of us, born Jewish or born into the family of Abraham, God made a way for us to get in the family. And that's what I just read you. He said, if you belong to Christ or if you were baptized into Christ, then guess what? You're the seed of Abraham. You are Abraham's seed and you're heirs, 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 according to the promise. So you have a right to exercise the covenant that God made with your forefather, Abraham. I want you to put that in the comments. I have a right to the covenant. I have a right to the covenant. I've got a right to the covenant. Look at that. And then when you get into here and start reading all of these different things like Deuteronomy, one of the things obviously that I, I do want to reference that God said to the, the, the Jews here in Deuteronomy eight, it said, the Bible says in verse 18, um, you shall remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Why? That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So he's, he's saying it there in Deuteronomy eight, obviously seed of Abraham. And he's saying it all the way back then to them. I'm going to give you the power to get wealth. 
so that you'll remember me because I'm confirming the covenant I swore to your fathers as it is this day. And so he, he, he's still doing it here in Deuteronomy. Of course, we go through Deuteronomy 28. Their obedience brings them into excess. Then we come all the way to the New Testament. And what I just read to you, it's now available to us. It's now available to every one of us. Because if we're Christ's, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're an heir and you have access and a right to the covenant. You're an heir, you have access, you have a right to the covenant. Amen. So that's number two. Number one, number one reason God wants to bless you, make you wealthy, he loves you. Number two, he wants to establish his covenant. When you come into covenant with Christ, he has to fulfill the details of the covenant with those that are in the covenant, if they'll do their part. See, did you know that that's the difference? between a promise and a covenant. That's the difference. If you didn't know, maybe you're new to that language. The difference between a covenant and a, and a promise covenant is like a contract. There's two sides. You have a part. God has a part unless we're willing to do our part of the covenant. God's not bound to do his part of the covenant. That's why, you know, if you look back in Deuteronomy 28, the language is so powerful because notice what he says. It's if then, it's if then language, if then, if then, if then, if you'll do this, I'll do this. If you'll do this, then I'll do this. And notice what he does in um, Deuteronomy 28. And if you faithfully obey, the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, then the Lord, your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. So all of the blessings in Deuteronomy 28 are based upon if you will do what I told you to do. So covenant is not the same as a promise. A promise is based on someone's integrity. I can say, Hey, tomorrow I'm coming to your house and I'll cut your grass at three o'clock. It's not based on you. It's based on my own integrity and my own promise. You don't even, if you're home, I'll still be there to do it. If you're gone, I'll still be there to do it. If you're shopping, I'll still be there to do it. It's not based on what you do. The promise is tomorrow at three o'clock based on my word, I'll be at your house to cut your grass. But a covenant is different. A covenant is if you pay me $20, then tomorrow at three, I'll be at your house to cut your grass. If you don't pay the money, do your part of the covenant. I don't have to do my part of the covenant. And so that's the key. He's establishing his covenant. See, because if it was only a promise based on God's integrity, there could be no poor Christians. There could be no sick Christians, right? It would be impossible for a Christian to sin. If this covenant was only a promise, but it's not a promise. It's a covenant. There's two sides, two parts to play. You understand? So let me give you number three. Not only does he love you, not only does he want to establish his covenant. So to answer Jennifer's question, she said, if you don't obey, then he can decrease our blessings. It's not that he decreases our blessings. It's that you only have access to the blessings when you are in obedience. You only have access to the the blessings 
when you're in obedience. God never wants to take your blessings away. And of course, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, he's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3. It's not that he wants to decrease our blessings. He's already given them all to us. It's just that you can only access them through obedience. That's how it works. Number three, the third reason God wants you to abound in blessing and be wealthy, he wants to position you for his agenda. Now we're getting into some of this purpose of prosperity language. He wants to position you for his agenda. What do, you, what do I mean by that? Well, obviously, God has a plan. God has a plan. He has something he wants to be accomplished on the earth. We know that he's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He has a plan to fulfill uh, his agenda on the earth. But what does it take to, to make that happen? It takes the body of Christ. It takes us doing what we are called to do to see God's agenda fulfilled on the earth. We are here occupying, that's military language, military language. Just like you would occupy a nation once you've defeated it. You leave troops behind and you occupy the nation. That's military language. We as the army of God are here occupying until he comes. He's positioning you for his agenda, which means he needs his body to obey his word to carry out his plan. And I know that shakes some people up to hear that kind of wording. Because that people could say, well, that sounds so arrogant that you believe God needs you to do what he wants to get done or what he decrees. But it's not because I decided that it's that way. That's the system he created. In fact, the Bible even tells us in the book of Amos that God will do nothing on the earth, nothing unless he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. I didn't make that up. I didn't set that in position. No man made God do that. God chose to do it himself. He created his own system. He can decide how he wants to function. <laughs> God, God can decide how he wants to function. And the Bible says he'll do nothing on the earth unless he reveals it to his servants, the prophets. And so understand something. He gave us the command, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that doesn't believe will be damned. So understand, even Paul said that without the gospel, you can't be saved. It's the power of God unto salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You can't be saved without the gospel, but understand it takes finances to push the gospel forward. It's not just done for free. Now the gospel message is free. Receiving Christ is free, but getting the message out, doing the work of God is not free. And every one of us play a part in furthering the agenda of heaven on the earth by what we do in faithfulness and dedication to the kingdom. There's a purpose for our tithes. There's a purpose for our offerings. There's a purpose as we sow. There are things that God wants to do that he's doing through us. And the reason we dedicate ourselves to the kingdom, the reason we're diligent in the kingdom 
and we've taken this vision on personally is because we're servants of the most high God. We want to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Not my will, but your will be done. And so what does he do? Because he never wants you to be without, think about this. He'll not just meet your needs. He'll go beyond meeting your needs and bring you into excess, excess. Do you think God wants you to suffer so that he can have your tithe? God doesn't even need your tithe. I want you to think about that. He's sitting on a throne and his feet are resting on streets of pure gold. The gate of the city of the new Jerusalem is made out of one pearl. The Bible says carved out of one pearl, the gates. You think God needs your, your hundred dollar tithe. He personally doesn't need it. It's used in his kingdom. The kingdom makes use of it. The kingdom on the earth makes use of it. But you think God wants you to suffer so that he can have your tithe? No. Well, I have to go without this week so that I can give God his tithe. That's not his desire. He doesn't want you to suffer so that he can have your tithe. He wants you to be in the overflow so that you'll tithe and never feel it. So that you'll give and you have excess to give and still have more than enough to do what you do in your own family and to bless others and to bless the poor. So part of his agenda is preaching the gospel. You tithe, you give, you bless the poor first fruits. You bless those around you. You bless your generation, which we'll get to in a minute. But think about this. If you didn't have the excess, you could never do those things. Can you imagine if all God gave you was just enough to get your bills paid and have groceries in the refrigerator and there's nothing left over, nothing left over? Well, you're done for because now you can't tithe. Now you can't give. Now you can't bless the poor and you're commanded to do those things. So God's not going to do that to you. He doesn't want you to put you in a place where you can't even obey his written word. No, absolutely not. He wants you to be able to push the gospel forward. And that's what many of you are doing. You know, those of you that obviously who we love are connected to this ministry. You've partnered with us. You're standing with us. Some of you very significantly. And I'm sure everybody that's doing something, it's significant to you. It takes your faith. Well, understand what's going on. God's blessed you with excess so that you could not only be a blessing to your home church, you've been a blessing to this ministry. And we love you and we appreciate you for doing that because you're obeying the commission. You can't quit your job and you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Not every people that are watching this today, you're not in the fivefold ministry gifts. I mean, unless you are serving as an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. But just because you're not in the fivefold ministry gifts doesn't mean you don't do something to push the gospel forward and to see people saved. And so it would be wrong of you to quit your job and to go out and start holding crusades if you're not called to be an evangelist. But what do you do? You're faithful at your job. You're faithful doing what God anointed you to do. And then you're sowing seed into those of us who are doing the work on the front lines, which makes you a part of it, which gives you a part of the harvest and a part of the fruit comes to your account because you sent and we're a part as a family of what this ministry is doing, what your church is doing. 
See what I mean? And so he puts us into excess overflow so that we've got more than enough to handle our affairs, more than enough to bless our family, more than enough to take care of our responsibilities, and then excess. I can tithe and never feel it. I can bless. I can sow seeds into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. It's a great quote there from Zach Wilson. The supply line is crucial to any army. Hallelujah. That's exactly right. Just as much as the fighters on the front lines. Sean says, God's not looking for reservoirs in which to pour his financial blessing. Instead, he's looking for rivers, rivers. God doesn't want to pour it into a big lake or a pond where it gets stagnant. He wants that blessing to flow. He wants that blessing to flow. See, he knows if I can put something in your hand that will never control you, then I can put anything in your hand. Once everything means nothing to you, then God can give you anything. Think about that. Once everything means nothing, God can give you anything because he knows nothing he'll give you would control you, would manipulate you, would cause you to hold on tight and take your eyes off of him and focus on the blessing. He knows it wouldn't do that. When everything means nothing, God can give you anything. Think about that. So number, number three, he wants to position you for his agenda. Number four, he wants to give you excess to pour out onto others around you. Did you know that you are a called to be a blessing to your generation? A blessing to your generation. I'm not called to be a liability. I'm not looking for a handout from everybody I meet. I'm called to be a blessing, called to be a blessing. We've heard that term before, blessed to be a blessing, blessed to be a blessing, blessed to be a blessing. And that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so one of the things, now I mentioned this verse earlier, I'm going to pray for you in a minute because I believe God's got 2021 year to run in the Holy Ghost. And I believe that also means we're going to run financially like we never have. We're going to run financially like we never have. <laughs> Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost on that. We're getting ready to run financially like we never have. I mean, debts are falling off you by the power of God. God's going to pay those debts. You're going to see supernatural debt cancellation. Some of you, that student loan's been hanging over your head for years, that credit card debt, all those things that just literally... It feels the, you feel the pressure of it. God, I believe God will do something in 2021 to clear those things out of your path. It also takes the pressure off your mind, it takes the pressure off of your spirit. Always have to be thinking about that and dealing with that every single day. Brings a new peace, brings a new joy, gives you a new lease on life. Hallelujah. Luke 5, Luke 5 is interesting because I always think of this when Peter gave Jesus his boat. Then that was the seed. Peter was the one that was obedient, right? Peter was the one that was obedient. And so when he let his net down, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they filled both boats so that they began to sink. Did you ever think about this? <clears throat> Peter's friends did nothing to bless the Lord. 
Peter's friends did nothing with their boat to bless Jesus' ministry like Peter did. However, they still got blessed in abundance only because they had a connection to Peter. (laughs) Think about that. Your friends will be blessed just because they know you. Catch that for a minute. Whoo. I feel it, Lena. I know what you're talking about. Lena Ann feels it on the West Coast. Your friends will be blessed because of you. You're the one with the covenant with God. You're the one walking in the overflow, but your friends will catch the excess. Glory to God. You know what it's like? Have you ever done this before? Have you ever filled up a cup of coffee, but you filled it up way too full? And so you start trying to walk back to the couch, walk back to your seat, walk over to the other side of the kitchen, but you filled that cup of coffee too full. And I don't mean a travel mug like this. I mean a mug like this. And you're right up to the brim and you're trying to slowly slide across the the tile floor, the linoleum floor, whatever you got, but it's too much. You put it to the brim because you love coffee too much. And you're literally walking and you're trying, but the little handshakes and the little movements, you got splashes coming out, splashes hitting your socks, splashes on the linoleum floor, on the tile floor, splashes on the, on the, uh, sideboard and on the, on the countertop. And you got to go grab three, four paper towels. Now you're wiping stuff up on the counter, wiping stuff up off the floor, wiping your mug, wiping stuff off your socks. What just happened? What just happened? You've got so much that you're spilling over. Hallelujah. I got so much that I'm spilling over. Let me tell you something. One of the saddest moments of the morning is when you've drank so much coffee that there's only a couple of sips left in the bottom. And you look down in despair, thinking to yourself, I have to make another cup. But you look at that. Can I just tell you something? There's no danger of you walking with two sips of coffee left in your mug. There's no danger of that spilling out on the floor everywhere. There's only two sips left in there. Two little sips. That's not enough status. That's not even just enough status. That's not enough status. There's no danger of that. You can even walk fast. You could jog. You could run with that mug. That's not coming out. There's not enough to splash out right? No danger of that, but that's not your story. That's not where God's going to call you to be. Look at Psalm 23. I know Alex, you hate to see it. I don't know if that's Lilia or Alex, but you hate to see it. Look at Psalm 23. I just want to read this. I don't even want to comment on it. I don't even want to give you any commentary. I'm just going to read it. It's that funny. I mean, it's that good. I read somebody's comments. So funny. It's that powerful. Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll not want. You could go on that for three weeks. You could preach on that for three weeks. I'm not going to. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup 
overflows. There it is. My cup overflows. Why does your cup overflow? Because the Lord's your shepherd. The Lord's your shepherd. And so you won't want. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Somebody, if you understand where I'm going and what I'm talking about, put it in the comments today. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I feel the anointing on that. My cup overflows. Your cup overflows. So what am I, what am I talking about today? Those around you are going to get splashed with your overflow. (laughs) Those around you are going to get splashed with your overflow. Glory to God. I was just sharing the story with somebody yesterday. I mean, I was, I was in a place where I was, uh, you know, I like shoes. I like shoes. I like sneakers. There was at one point where I had like, I had like 14 pairs of Jordans in my closet, like brand new looking, dead stock looking, 14 pairs of Jordans. You've heard me tell the story, but I was sitting in a revival service and the Lord said, take that, call for all the young men in your church that wear your size and then give those Jordans, those beautiful Jordans, give them away to all those young men. And so I called my friend, uh, Minister Reese here at the church at Abundant Life, I said, could you gather up all the guys that wear my shoe size? He said, yeah, man. And so we, I came back on a Wednesday night and they were all waiting for me. And I brought in from the, from the truck, I had 14 boxes of, of Jordans, brought them upstairs. And, uh, I just opened it up. I said, everybody take, take your pick, take what you want. Just take it and be blessed. And people were taking pairs of Jordans and thinking like, what in the world? Why would you give all these Jordans away? These are like brand new. Why would you, why would you give this away? Because right now, I want you to, I want you to think about this. And I'm not saying this. Don't think I'm saying this in such a way that it's like, I'm not bringing glory to me. This is glory to God. He gives the increase. He gives the provision and the excess. But I mean, once you think about it, every time one of those men walk into church or or head out somewhere and I, they're walking in those Jordans. I'm literally seeing my splash on their feet, their feet, their feet, their feet, their feet. So from that night, 13, 14 dudes walking around from the splash on my life, the excess, the overflow, walking around in the splash. Think about that. The excess. The excess, the overflow, walking in the splash. And that's the key. He said, my cup overflows. We are called to bless our generation. We are called. Man, I mean, if you, if you can catch this, I am called to be a blessing. You are called to be the splash. Hallelujah. I want you to write it in the comments. Even that way, it'll get you to remember it. I am called to be the splash. You think about spilling that as you walk around your kitchen, spilling as you're walking around with that. You're called to be the splash. That floor is getting blessed. That countertop's getting blessed. Your socks are getting blessed. Your hands are getting blessed. Why? You're called to be the splash. Called to. Called to. 
anointed to. You're anointed to overflow. My God. Anointed to overflow. Woo. Somebody ought to shout on that one, man. <laughs> I said somebody ought to shout on that one. Because once you recognize the fact that I'm called to be the splash, I am called to be the excess, to be the overflow that God has ordained. Then you start realizing my kids are going to get it. My grandkids are going to get it. My mother and father are going to catch it. My sisters and brothers, my friends, my coworkers, they're going to get it. It's going to be so much that you can't get around me without getting blessed. Pastors have to fight me. Friends have to fight me. If you go out to eat with me, you will literally have to physically, physically with me fight to get that bill. You have to physically fight for it. I've yanked it out of people's hands. I have pulled it. I have followed the waitress and then taken their card away from her and given her mine. You have to fight me because you're going to be a result of my overflow. You're going to feel the blessing. I'm blessed to be a blessing. I don't just talk it. You got to walk it. <laughs> you, you, you should see some of these things. I've had people be like, man, I, I've never had to fight somebody. Oh, you're going to fight me because I am called to bless you. I am called to bless you. I'm anointed to bless you. Amen. Let me tell you something. I go out. And, and, and trust me, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm telling you how to live. I'm teaching you how to live because if you'll learn to live this way, it will change your whole life. I've said this before. You look at, you look at, uh, whoever your pastor is, wherever you go to church, whoever your pastor is, if you ever see your pastor at a restaurant somewhere, he should never pay for his meal ever ever. Doesn't matter where it is. Never. There should be something. And this is what really what first fruit is, is that you have a a gift. My wife and I do it and we live this way. You have a gift for your spiritual leader. You bless your pastor. I don't just give offerings to the church. I don't just tithe to the church, give offerings to the church and bless the poor. I also have something for my pastor personally every month, every month month, every month, because he's worthy of double honor. I do it not only for my, for my pastor, I do it for my father and mother. I'm not just honoring them as father and mother, I'm also honoring him as a man of God and her as a woman of God. You see that. And so that's really what a first fruit offering is. It didn't go to the temple. It went to the priest personally, went to the priest Somebody asked me earlier in the broadcast, can you break down first fruits? I'm breaking it down now. How could I, and this is number five, is that we're called to bless men of God. And I'm not telling you this to bless me. I'm not asking for a blessing. You ought to bless your pastor. You ought to bless your pastor and his family. And so I'll say, if if I'm ever, I do my very best. If I'm ever with our bishop, Bishop Rick Thomas and his wife, Pastor Sean, Pastor Aaron, whoever, whoever's there. I do my very best. I get, I get it. And, and they don't want me to because they're blessings. 
That's what I said. It's like, you got to get sneakier and sneakier. I got to show up earlier to the restaurant than ever before and then hand her a card to the way say, when we all come back for dinner later tonight, make sure you run my card. I don't ever want to go somewhere with, with, you know, crazy. These men of God have given their whole lives to the work of God. They should be blessed. The Bible teaches they should be blessed. So if I'm, I don't care if I'm golfing. I, I want to do my best. I, I don't want them to ever have to pay for anything, anything. And it's not because they need it. Because let me tell you something. They don't need it. They don't need it. They don't need my uh, uh, dinner money. But it's not about whether they need it or not. See, this is the problem that we have in the body of Christ is that we base everything on need and God bases nothing on need. Let me finish with this thought before I pray for you, because here is the real problem that we have in the body. And I, and I will break this down because I know I got the, I got the mature people on the broadcast today. Cause if you put anything in the, in, in the title or anything about wealth or prosperity or whatever, you, you get people staying away. And I can see that even a little bit in the numbers today, but that's fine because what it means is it's who I have on the broadcast. That's the ones that are mature and faithful enough to hear the message. And so I get it, but, but listen to what I'm going to say to you right now, because this is a principle I wish the body would catch. It's not about need with God. It never is about need. It's never about need. If God was moved by people's needs, there would be no needs. I mean, it doesn't get any more plain than that. Number five, Elizabeth is God wants you to bless the men and women of God. In fact, did you know that there was a rebuke in scripture? There was a, a rebuke in scripture to people that would not bless men and women of God that were preaching the word. In fact, Paul had to command them. If they minister to you natural, uh, uh, spiritual things, you're to minister to them personally back from natural things. They give you the word, you bless them financially. That's what Paul taught. Do you know that there was someone in the New Testament that was trying to keep people from supporting traveling ministries and they had to rebuke him publicly and say, you don't hold back and not bless traveling ministries. New Testament. So I want you to see this now. It's not about need. It's not about need with God. And I'll pull that, I'll pull that out for you so that you can see it. But it's not about need. See, because let's say all of uh, God's children, everyone has needs. No one, everyone knows that. We all have needs. But see, it's not the need in and of itself that moves God's hand. Because there are poor Christians. Is it God's desire or will? No. But notice that God doesn't bless them because they're in need. Because God isn't moved by need. Put that in the comments. God's not moved by need. God isn't moved by need.
If he was, there would be no needy Christians. None. Let me, um, let me read to you what I was talking about earlier. This is uh, the letter, the third letter of John or third John. Listen to this. Beloved, I'm going to start with verse five, third John five. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a worthy manner, a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. I'm talking about traveling ministers here. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That's what I, I share with you daily is that you're a fellow worker. That's what John's teaching. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, listen to this man, Diotrephes, how wicked this is. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. So look at the thing they're dealing with here is that you've got men of God coming in, preaching the gospel. And here's a dude right here, Diotrephes, who is saying, don't support them. Don't bless them. And if you try to, I'll kick you out of our church. And John calls it, calls it out as wicked, as wicked. It's wicked. And so God wants you to be, I'm, I'm speaking this because your pastors won't speak this because it would seem self-serving if they did. I'm not saying they don't have the guts to preach this. I'm saying what pastor is going to get up in his pulpit and say, you need every one of you in my congregation needs to come bless me personally. No, they're not going to preach that. The best they get is pastor's appreciation Sunday, which is a joke. That's a joke. That once a year, and somebody brings them a little $10 Dunkin' Donuts card. It's a freaking joke. Your pastor is given his life for you and his, he and his family will take criticism from the community. They'll take criticism from those who disagree with the church and all the moves the church make. And they take all of it on the chin and stand in the gap for you and your family and pray for you and fast for you and preach to you and teach you, raise you up, encourage you. They need to be blessed. And I know that pastors aren't going to get up and preach a self-serving. You need to bless me. They're not going to say that pastor's appreciation. Somebody brings them in like a, like a donut tray. Got you a little fruit basket, pastor. Great. I mean, you need to bless them. You need to bless them. I, you, and you listen to the Holy ghost. I had a preacher come sit next to me. I was preaching. I was the preacher holding a revival. And another preacher walked in the door and sat down next to me, just came to hear me preach. And the Lord said, sit down, write in the check for $2,500. I'm going to sit down and write him a check for $2,500 and get him a fruit basket. Please. Wrote the man a check for $2,500, put it in his Bible and went up and preached my message. 
Amen. And you need to bless these men that have been faithful. And God wants you to. God wants us to. I'll give you another verse real quick before we, uh, before we pray. Because it is important. First Corinthians nine. It's very important. And so you need to bless your pastor. It'll blow their mind. You know, you know, you know something else that blows my mind. And if you're a minister watching this and maybe you are, and if you're a traveling minister, listen even closer. Don't be a cheapskate. Don't be a cheapskate. If I see one more traveling minister turning in reimbursement receipts for every stinking thing they've got on the way to the meeting. Hey, pastor, so glad to ha- that we're here to bless your church. Uh, I had to get some dry cleaning done uh, on the way. Here's the dry cleaning receipts. And we, were, we had to get some gas uh, in the car on the way here. Here's my gas receipts. And here's a, don't be a cheapskate. Expecting everybody to pay for everything for you. <laughs> Always mysteriously have to go to the bathroom when the check comes at dinner. First Corinthians nine. I got to use the restroom real quick. I'll be right back. <laughs> Gone. Don't be, and you know, it's, it's sad that I have to say that, but in case there's any traveling ministers watching, I can't tell you how many pastors have eyes as big as, you know, billiards balls looking at me, you're paying for dinner? Yes. And, and this is sad because we've had this said to us multiple times. I've had this said to me by at least five different pastors. Do you know in all the years that I've pastored this church, you are the first evangelist to ever pay for a meal. And these people that have been pastoring 30, 40, 25 years, years, I'm the first evangelist. I I was hearing that stuff when I was in my twenties. What kind of deadbeats are coming into places that are established, can't even pay for a meal. But see, it's a mentality. It's a need mentality. I'm here to bless you. You should be blessing me. I'm blessed to bless others. You're going to get into, (laughs) it's like when you go, you know, when you go to, uh, back when we were before cancel culture, when we were still allowed to have whales at SeaWorld, we were actually still allowed to have whales and we had Shamu and there was a splash zone. And you knew if you were going to see the whale show where the splash zone was, you knew they gave you ponchos because if you're within that area in the crowd in the amphitheater, you know that if the whale does the splash move, you're getting wet. And I want to say that you need to live in such a way. (laughs) You need to live in such a way that wherever you walk, Everybody around you is in the splash zone. <laughs> That's exactly what you need to do. Live in such a way that everybody around you is in the splash zone. If I come, you're getting wet. If I come, you're getting blessed. If I come, you're going to be, uh, you're going to feel the blessing of God, the overflow of heaven. Amen. I want you to see this. I'm going to deal with this uh, real quickly in 1 Corinthians 9. 
And uh, Paul is, is teaching here that I'm surrendering my, my rights to, to preach to you, but you shouldn't make other ministers surrender their rights. Paul was doing it as, as a, making a point, but he said, although that I'm willing to work and not, you know, depend on your generosity, I'm willing to do this, but you shouldn't make other ministers do this because this is not God's system. So listen to what he says. <clears throat> Verse six of, of 1 Corinthians nine, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Verse seven, who serves, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? <laughs> who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For is it not written in the law of Moses? You shall not muzzle an ox while he treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God's concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? Is it not written it for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope that the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop? Now listen to verse 11 and 12. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Now look at what he's saying there. That's exactly what he's teaching. That's the context. The context of what Paul's saying here is, if somebody is ministering to you spiritual things, you should minister back to them natural things. That's the point of verse 11. That's the pure context. He's saying, really, really? Are you saying, and that's why I don't believe in bivocational ministers. Because the early church didn't believe in that and it wasn't God's, your pastor shouldn't have to go work a secular job to pastor his people. That, that is literally a slap in the face to the provision of God. A pastor should never have to. Now there are those that were faithful to do it. I know plenty that had to do it because their church wasn't at that place. They didn't understand giving, sowing. And so the pastor loved the people so much, he was willing to go work a secular job and then come pastor the people. But that's not the scriptural way. That's not the scriptural way. Did you know that even the apostles in the early church said, we don't even take time out to wait tables or to get involved in food distribution for widows and orphans. We don't have, we're not supposed to be doing that stuff. We're supposed to be dedicating our lives to ministering to God's people. And if we do the other stuff, we won't be prepared in prayer, fasting in the word of God to do anything for you. Amen. And that's the key. So what am I teaching you today? Number five, we're called to bless the men and women of God. And I'm saying this to you as a believer today, not as just a minister, because I do the same. What I'm encouraging you to do, I do. And I do it often, and I do it a lot. And I do it generously, because we should. If I'm receiving spiritual things from somebody, if I'm receiving spiritual nutrients, if I've got men speaking into my life, I've got men teaching me and raising me up in encouragement, strength, you better believe I'm gonna do something in the natural realm to bless them back. I'm going to sow a seed. I'm going to put it in their hand. And that doesn't take away from what I do for the Lord. 
tithes, offerings, blessing the poor. This is different. This is to the man of God, as Paul taught here. If he's ministered naturally, you know, I can remember there was a time, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it, because it needs to, people need to have a, a, a picture in their mind. I remember how much I had learned and received from Bishop Oyedepo when I first found his ministry, got all of his books, listened to all of his preaching. I mean, you know, he's in Nigeria. And I knew, and my wife knew. We both knew. She wasn't there, but we talked and we agreed. And we put a, an offering in his hand that was for him, not his ministry. Bless his ministry too, but for him. For him. You understand? Because when he's leaving, and, and I know he's ministered. He's ministered. He's ministered. I've seen things I've never seen. I was getting stirred up in ways that I never had. I was re receiving revelation that was blowing my mind. He laid his hands on me more than one time, commanding the blessing. And I can tell you something, after he did, the blessing came upon us in a way we'd never seen. So I'm going to wander into his office say, hey, just wanted to bless you, Bishop Dave, and pull like a little $100 bill out of my pocket. Bishop Dave, just wanted to bless you. Meanwhile, here's a guy who on his own dime, nobody's even paying him to come to the United States. He's not even called to the United States. Comes to bless the pastors in the United States, has like 3,500 pastors in a room, rents a dog track on his own dime, pays for his own private plane. No one's covering his costs. Nobody's, uh, um, you know, pays for his own jet fuel, flies from Lagos, Nigeria to New York to preach to God's people in America, to prophesy God's getting ready to raise up Pentecostal mega churches in America to bring revival to the nation. You think I'm going to wander up into his office with a little hundred dollar? God bless you, Bishop Dave. Just want to kind of bless you. Don't spend it all in one place. No, we gave him a very large amount of money, a very large amount put it in his hands for him. You see what I mean? It's because you start to realize this principle that if we want to overflow, we've got to do what the Bible says, but understand something. God wants to know. And I love that. What we said earlier, he's not looking for reservoirs. He's looking for rivers. He's looking for rivers because he knows that if he, and, and this is kind of a cliche we've heard over the years, but if you've never heard it, get it, get it in your spirit. If he can get it through you, he can get it to you. That's huge. Put it in the comments. Last thing I'll have you write today. If he can get it through you, he can get it to you. What do I mean by that? If God knows that what he puts into your life isn't going to stop with you, if it continues to flow through you, I'll know now. I mean, there's many, many times people will put stuff in my hands as I'm traveling and I know immediately it's not even for me. It's going to go right through me to somebody else. It's going to, it's going to go right through me. And some, and many times the Lord will show me who that's for. Somebody will put it in my hand. Here's a blessing here. This is for you, brother Ted. God bless you. And I'll know immediately this isn't even for me. It's it's I'm receiving it, but I'm not receiving it as a harvest. I'm receiving it as a seed. And the Lord will say, this is for this person. This is for this person. I'll text them immediately. I say, this just came to me, but the Lord spoke to me. It was for you. Would you? Yeah, absolutely. I'd like it. Somebody just gave me another nice pair of shoes when I was traveling, beautiful pair of shoes, but I knew it wasn't for me. Lord showed me who it was for. I sent him a message, sent him a picture of the shoes. Would you like these? They were just given to me. Absolutely. I would brought them home, gave them. Amen. 
Because if he can get it through you, he can get it to you. If he can get it through you, he can get it to you. If he can get it through, see, he didn't want it to stop with you. And then he knows anything flows into your life is staying in your hand. No, 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 no. It's coming out of me to somebody else. The splash zone is wherever I go. The splash zone is wherever you go. We're running over excess overflow more than enough provision. There's not a limited amount in God's kingdom. Get that in your spirit. There's not a limited amount. People have this mindset like there's a limited amount. And and the point that I was making to you earlier that I really wanted to drive home, God's not moved by need. He's moved by faith. He's moved by vision. That's how God has moved. He's moved by the actions of faith of his people, not by need. You should never have to hear what I'm saying to you. And this is something I would say to my people, to the victory tribe. I would say this to you. And I've tried to operate this way so that you can understand it. You should never have to be moved by need to sow a seed. I shouldn't have to put up on the screen. Now we've got a project here that we want you to get involved with. You know, we're, we're, we're in debt. We need you to do this. And there's nothing wrong with sowing for a purpose. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not belittling that. But if you always have to have a need before you release a seed, then you don't understand the system of seed time and harvest. I, we should be sowing toward vision, not a need vision to accomplish, not a need. And and I'm not ashamed. There's times we may present something to you, but I, I don't ever present it to you in the form of need. I present it to you in the form of vision. I hope you can see that what I'm talking about, the difference. Let me, let me give you an example. None of you know, none of you, cause I've never said it and I never will say it. None of you know how much it costs for me to be on television all over the world. None of you know, you know why I don't put up a slide that says, here's how much money we need this week. Here's how much money it's going to cost us to be on all the stations this week. None of you know how much it costs me. None of you know how much it costs our ministry to be in the top 1% of givers to feed the hungry. And we bless them. And we're, set, we're blessing hundreds of children every single day. But I don't put that up on the screen and say, here's how much money we need to bless these children. Here's how much money we need to preach on television. I'm not doing that because I've made up my mind. I'm going to train the body of Christ in, in the way that God views giving. Because here's the thing. Let me show you what happens. If you allow yourself to be moved to give only to needs, and I'm not saying we can't give to needs because we know those children need to eat, right? And so, yes, I'm blessing the poor because they need to eat. And so I've got overflow and we're blessing them. But notice, I don't present it to you that way. I need you to sow because we're in need. Do you know when we launched this studio we're sitting in right now? I never raised $1 for anything we're doing in this studio. Not $1. I never said, no, we've got a property we'd really like to get into, but we need you to sow a seed. I've never done that. Never done that. You didn't even know we were signing the documents on this property. Nobody knew it except the Lord. You didn't know it. You didn't even know we were setting this place up. You didn't know about the LED screen behind me that we paid tens of thousands of dollars for. You didn't know that. You didn't know all the stuff, but all this stuff is cash. It's paid for cash. 
I didn't present it to you and say, well, here's what we got to get. You know, I got a little thing over here. We're at this level one right now. We're headed towards level two. We just need 50 more people to give $10. I didn't do any of that. What do we do? We present vision to you because here's what'll happen. And I'll tell you in a moment, Chandra, but here's, here's what'll happen is if you always need a need to sow, then what are you going to do when, when the needs are met? Stop sowing. Are you going to stop being a giver because there's no more needs because we're walking in the overflow? Because remember this, if, if God wants us to walk in the overflow, then what do you do when your church is in overflow? What do you do when your church's bills are all paid and they have money in the bank? Do you stop sowing because they don't have any needs or do you sow because it's, it's what God's called you to do? Do you sow because we are commanded and we understand the covenant? I sow because it's for me. It's not for the one I'm sowing to. Here is the real key. The real key. We sow, the victory tribe, we sow and know sowings for us. It's not for the one we're sowing to. They might be blessed, yes, but it's for me. I sow, I reap. I sow, I reap. It's sowings for my family. Sowings for me. It's for my finances. I'm blessed by my sowing. I refuse to cut my own blessing off by stopping my own sowing. And that's what I'm showing you today is that if we want to walk in that overflow, we we need to understand I'm not moved by need. I'm moved by vision and I'm moved by the word of God moved by the word. I don't give because there's a need. I don't give because there's, I give because the word of God tells me to do it. This scripture, this is what I live by. Even if there were no needs, I'd sow more than I did last year. (laughs) Oh, glory to God. My church is blessed. The church I attend is blessed. It's blessed. We're in a beautiful, beautiful building, millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. Beautiful, state-of-the-art everything, gorgeous, beautiful. Not sitting around with a, you know, they're not sitting on the platform with some poster board with a thermometer halfway colored in with red marker. We need 50 more people. We're not doing that. Blessed. But you know what what I don't do? Because I understand how God works. I don't sit there and go, well, you know, our church already has all they need. I need to find another church uh, to, to, cause I'm not moved by need. I'm not moved by need, I'm moved by the word. I'll sow more this year into our church than I did last year. I sowed last year more into our church than we did the year before. And they're not having to get up and present needs to me to be, for me to be moved to give to the church. That's foolishness. That's what an extremely immature carnal Christian requires. Well, let me see what you're doing with the money. How, what, what are we spending this on? What, how, I don't need that. I don't need you to tell me that. I give because the word of God says to give and I'm blessed because of what we do personally. You see, you'll be blessed. That's, that should encourage you. No one can steal your blessing because your blessing is based on your own faithfulness. Hallelujah. Woo. Hallelujah. You're going to overflow wherever you go. And so I just want to show you this today. Number one, he loves you. Number two, to establish his covenant. Number three, to position you for his agenda. Number four, to give access to others, the poor, those around you. And number five, to bless those who minister spiritual things to you. Those who minister spiritual things to you. 
And so we're going to pray. I want to pray for you because I believe this is going to be a year of financial abundance for the faithful people of God like they've never seen. It already has begun that way for us. That's all I can tell you. This has been a year we're already running. We're not even out of the first quarter yet. And we're running like crazy. God's opening the doors and the increase has hit. And I'm just telling you, it's going to be the best year that we've ever seen. The faithful that we've ever seen. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, let us see, every faithful person, let us see your increase hit our lives so violently in 2021 that it blows the minds of even the wicked, that they will clearly see your hand of blessing upon our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for that. We give you glory. We give you praise. You are the provider. There's nobody like you. There's nobody that can do what you do. And so, Lord, we receive your increase, your provision in wonderful name of Jesus. We thank you for it. We give you glory. Amen. Hallelujah. And so what am I doing now? I'm going to challenge you to do what you just heard. I'm going to challenge you to sow a seed. Those of you that are watching, that have been bold enough to stay on this broadcast, you didn't run out the back door, I'm going to encourage you to do what the Holy Spirit's telling you now. Isn't it nice that I don't have to put up any slides and say, here's what we need you to do. We need 50 people. <laughs> I don't have to, and it makes me so happy because I don't ever have to do any of that. I don't have to do any of that. Just believe God that people will be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Love you, Jess. And so those of you that are watching, here's how you can sow the seed the Holy Spirit's speaking to you to sow. You can use our website, miracleword.com. PayPal's on the screen. And if you'd like to do a Zelle transfer, um, yeah, exactly, Nathan. So I know somebody in the crowd has $1,000. Uh, if you'd like to do a Zelle transfer, it's the same email as PayPal, info at miracleword.com. Cash App and Venmo are the same username, MWGive. Or if you're on Facebook or Twitter, you can use hashtag donate to sow your seed right in the comments section. And I'm saying a big thanks to everybody ahead of time, but I'm telling you, it is, by the way, all those ways to sow are on the website, miracleword.com. And, uh, and so you can do it there without a problem. But I just want to say it is so, so much of a blessing to never have to be in that position where you're like sitting there thinking like, you know, you got to come up with something and I can't stand it. You know, where it's like people sitting around having to come up with different ways <laughs> to try to manipulate people out of, out of their money. I don't get, you know, it's like people will give or they won't. People will sow, they'll do what the Holy Spirit tells them or they won't. But my blessing is based on what I sow. And that's what stirs my faith. <laughs> I love you too, Sean. Love you, Faith. Love you, uh, Jess. Thank you, James. For sowing a seed. Seth, that's a great question. And we should set that up through um, one of these apps. We're going to do it. Seth Morissette, who I've known for a long time. It's a great question. And you know what? You've convicted me, Seth. I should have already been in position to receive Bitcoin. So I will. I absolutely will. Great question. Thank you, Shandra. Unfortunately, you can't do hashtag donate on YouTube, Chandra. It's only available on Facebook and Twitter. 
So if you're on YouTube, the best way to do it would be to use Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, or the website is the easiest way. MiracleWord.com. James, thank you very much for sowing a seed. Crypto's where it's at, huh, Seth? You're liking the crypto. Ethereum, Bitcoin, Dogecoin. Is that how you pronounce it? That's exciting, Seth. Seth is up in Maine, by the way, uh, Tiff. I believe his family were lobstermen, if I'm right. Is that right, Seth? Or am I thinking of a different Seth? Seth is in one of three places. He's either in Maine, he's in Canada, or he's in the UAE. No, I'm kidding. Absolutely. Yep, I knew it. <laughs> Lillian, Alex, I'll study my GameStop stock. <laughs> wow. That's great. Love you, Matt. Ryan. I take a place point zero zero three Dogecoin. <laughs> Still in Maine. That's awesome. Thank you for people that are sowing seeds. Thank you. The World Harvest Church camp meetings, man. Love it. We had a blast. I love Pastor Merrick so much. Pastor Linda, amazing pastors. Now, let me say this. I want you also to bless your pastors, whoever they are. Whoever your pastors are, make a pledge to bless your pastor. I mean that. Ask God, what can I do to bless my pastor and his family? And do it. Be a blessing to them. Do it on a monthly basis. Be a blessing to your pastor. It will bless them. Trust me on that one. It will bless them. Your faithfulness will be an encouragement and a blessing to your senior pastor. Hey, Justin. Bless you, Seth. Love you, buddy. Pray you're doing well. Pastor M's. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Thank you for sowing. Now, here's what we're going to do. For everybody that's partnering with us, month of March, we're sending you Brother Hagin's book, The Will of God in Prayer, for everybody that's sowing $85 or more. And um, this book will change you. You know, one of the things we learned while I was at Rama from Brother Hagin is his life of prayer truly was the catalyst for the power of his ministry. His, even his son testified. There would be many nights he'd see his dad sitting at his desk praying and reading the Bible, and he'd wake up in the morning, his dad would still be at the same desk in the same clothes with the same cup of coffee praying and reading the Bible. This is a man who understood prayer. This book will bless you. All you got to do is go to miracleword.com forward slash offer. And uh, you can fill out the form. Let us know where to send your book and how you gave, and uh, we'll send it to you. On top of that, I'm going to give you this. This is one of my favorite things. I look at it every day probably on my uh, iPhone, iPad. But this is the genuine leather edition of the Life, Life Application Study Bible. Over 10,000 uh, study notes in this. This is a great, great resource for those of you that want to go deeper in Bible study. And uh, this will, we'll send this to you in the New Living Translation for those that are sowing $1,000 or more. That's our way to say I love you and appreciate you. 
and, uh, and you'll enjoy it. Thank you so much. Now, tomorrow is Friday. Tomorrow morning, my father's going to be joining me back on the broadcast, and I'm sure he'll do some teaching, but we're going to take some time for questions and answers tomorrow with my father, Ted Shuttlesworth Sr., and you're not going to want to miss the broadcast. And so don't miss it. Friday morning, 10.30 a.m. New York City time. He's joining me again before I fly out for Crawfordsville, uh, Indiana, uh, where we're starting on Sunday morning for Revival. Love to see you there. Also, the week after, we're in Shelby Township, Michigan for the week, Lakeside Assembly of God. Love to see you there. On the 28th, we're in Livonia, Michigan. Would love to see you there. All the details on the website. But uh, if you have questions, um, write them down. Be ready with them so that when we, we go into the, uh, that part of the a broadcast, we can get questions, right? We're not wasting people's time. Things you'd like to know about the Word of God, things you'd like to know about the gifts of the Spirit, things you'd like to know about miracles, signs, and wonders, things you'd like to know, wisdom from a man who's been in the ministry for almost 50 years. Uh, have them ready, write them down, prepare yourself, and uh, it's gonna be awesome. So you won't wanna miss it in the morning, 10.30 a.m. with my dad, Ted Shuttlesworth Sr. Thanks for hanging with me today. I love you guys. And uh, I'll see you again tomorrow morning. Be blessed. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.